And then B. Smith literally disappeared one day. Someone eventually found her just kind of walking the streets in Manhattan. But I was part of that group trying to find her. Like, I remember Dan calling me and, and telling me about it. Like, we were all in a panic about that. So she was going through, he was going through, they were going through such a tough time and to try to be there for them personally, but also at the same time, understand I still have to run the channel and figure out what to put in those slots was really difficult. And also look after our team. Like I said, Lisa and Steve constantly doing all this extra work to try to make things work. And at the same time, the audience is suffering. They're not getting what they're supposed to get. Now they're pointing fingers of like, why'd you bring this show on? They don't know about the Alzheimer's. We're not divulging that to anybody at the time. And so to them, it's why is Dan talking so much? You know, why are we only talking about recipes? Because at this point, you know, B's not there to, to fill those gaps that she was supposed to. So it's like, why did you take this powerful power station and turn it into this cooking show or this cooking channel? And it's like, what do you say to that? It's like, you're right, but that's not what this was supposed to be. And I can't tell you why it can't be. Welcome back to another week of Entrepreneur Struggle. I'm your host, Chris Colbert. And normally, we're having these conversations with fellow entrepreneurs, fellow freelancers, because they are entrepreneurs as well, uh, about their journey creating and scaling up their companies with that real focus on the mental and emotional challenges that they face along the way. Uh, But from time to time, I like to do a little deviation from that. I like to do a little story time. And we did one before about my fake firing. uh, So if you haven't checked that out, go listen to that amusing story. uh, So I've been told. Uh, But this time around, I want to do it a little bit different, where instead of me just talking directly to you guys about my experience, I thought it would help me to kind of jog my memory to bring in somebody who was part of that journey uh, in these stories that I'm going to tell you. So today, we're going to be talking about the early days of uh, me taking over the Urban View channel at SiriusXM. I used to be the director of Urban Talk and Comedy, uh, but what led to that job title was taking over a channel called Urban View. And Adele Coleman, our chief operating officer here at DCP Entertainment, was actually where we first met, was SiriusXM and was that Urban View channel. And so I thought there was no better person to interview me for this conversation than Adele. Um, Because honestly, as I was thinking about having this conversation, I realized I don't even know if she knows the full story into what happened in the beginning of that channel. Um, and essentially, we did like a whole rebranding. So we're going to get into some of that with the really what I want to talk about is just like public perception versus reality. I think whether you're in a company or watching a company that you love, we have these preconceived notions of what's going on behind the scenes. But you don't actually know until people like myself tell you the actual story. And so, yeah, I want to give you a little bit of the crazy stories from my past. And I have Adele Coleman, our chief operating officer here at DCP, here to help me. So thank you, Adele, for joining us and welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to be here, you know. Um, and as people can now know, if they didn't know before, we go a long way back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of other entrepreneurs that I talk to, like, you know, those first hires are really, really key. And so like, that was a big part of us starting DCP Entertainment. Like I needed to have somebody who I worked with in the past, I can trust somebody who understands the kind of content we want to put out, the quality. And you're very much that person for me. And, you know, our relationship obviously goes beyond just the work relationship at this point, you know, very much friends beyond that. But um, yeah, I thought it would be interesting to have this conversation with you. So thanks for taking some time. I know, you know, you're super busy <laughs> with the rest of yeah, the company. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> they're they're fine. They're functioning. <laughs> no, it's, it's good to have these conversations, like you said, to kind of know the layers of what was happening. Because even as you think about what was going on over there, like you were upper management. I was just a worker. <laughs> so like even like the levels internally. You know, it was always kind of different in understanding. And that that kind of leads me to my first 
question. And my first surprise was when they changed urban, they changed the power into urban view. So like, I remember they didn't even tell us. So I used to work on, we'll say urban view, like all the shows, basically, like I bounced around pretty much (laughs) handling all the shows, you know, on a regular basis. And so like, I was one of the key producers there and all of a sudden I'm sitting at my desk and a press release pops up and it was like the new urban view channel. And so I'm thinking this is one of those like monthly pop-up channels that they do, you know, like it's not like a problem. Like what channel is that? And it's like the power now urban view. That's how I found out that they were changing the name of our channel. And I remember asking my coworker, like, why would you go from the power? Like, that's such a strong name to like Urban View. That's how I used to like always say it, you know. And I remember it was like, yeah, that was a that was a Chris decision. So <laughs> we, we we can start there. <laughs> what happened? Why did we change the name? So Chris decision. I'll give you the a quick answer, and then I'll give you some backstory to help frame the rest of the answer for this. So. It was not my decision. It was not my decision to change it to Urban View. I did want to change the name. I thought a rebranding was important. But to back up a little bit, um, one of the things that we forgot to mention, like dynamic-wise, I was working in New York more in our, you know, SiriusXM corporate office, I guess you can say. And Adele was down in D.C., which was like a legacy XM property. But unfortunately, at this point, you know, within the the company, like that was kind of the second you know, it was second fiddle to New York, I guess. Um, And so we were working in different locations. So hence why, even what Adele was just saying, it's kind of news to me of like how she found out about the the channel name. So before we even got to me taking over Urban View, I had actually years earlier asked to take over the power and I was met with resistance. And so I just, you know, I went about, you know, what I was doing, working on the comedy channels I was working on. A couple of years later, uh, BJ Stone, who ran a lot of the urban music channels, so hip hop, R and B, we use this word urban, so that kind of leads into the name of the channel. But you know, we, he was working on the urban music side, and so he was brought over to help head up this new direction for the Power, and we're going to make it more than just politics, news, and issues, which is what the Power was at the time, and we really want to expand on. The fact that as Black people, we're not monolithic. We're not just interested in news and politics. They're really important. Uh, but we need to show the breadth of, even if you are in politics, there's some who are liberal. There's some who are conservative. There's people who care about finance, about lifestyle type things. And so that's what we were going to try to help bring to the channel because we only had one Black channel. And so to help to rebrand that in people's minds, we need to change the name. And so we took a few months of just throwing out different names. I wish I could remember all of them. One of the ones I came up with, which in hindsight wasn't a good one, but I was getting fancy. I was like, I want to be a neo-noir, like N-E-O. Like this is back when like Neo Soul was still kind of big or like maybe kind of on his downturn, but like Neo, everybody knows Neo. So Neo-noir, you know, black. I'm going to make it sound fancy. No, nah, that's that's way too over people's like I was very passionate about this name. Uh, and I fought for it. I fought for a few other names and it finally got to the point where it went up to the, the president of the company, the president of Sirius XM. And they were like, well, we decided me and BJ, like we, we think urban view is a good name and it's just me and the president talking. And, and as we're talking, I'm like, well, I don't think I really like that name. Like urban isn't like a term that we really love. Like I get it for the music side, but that doesn't really translate to the, the talk side, especially because urban word denotes like being in a city, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, no, no, Urban is good for this, this, and this. And I, was, I pushed back again. He reiterated his point again. And the third time I pushed back and he, you know, obviously, you know, stuck to his guns. I'm like, all right, well, I'm talking to the president of the company. There's only so much fighting I can do. And at this point, yeah. 
he's already made his decision. So I said, cool. All right. Yeah, that's what we'll go with. Little yeah. did I know it was then relayed to other folks that this was my decision. I actually heard that from some other folks who came up to me, you know, months later to be like, Chris, why'd you approve a name like this? Like, why'd you pick this right. name? Who's telling you that? <laughs> it was Chris's urban view. Like, it was yours. Like, it was your name. It was everything. Because I was just like, you know, going, working backwards to when you and BJ came in, I was actually excited because it was cool to have people of color, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to turn to for the Black channel, you know, because before that we didn't have that. And so I felt like a lot of the concerns or um, discussion points or anything just as a Black channel, it wasn't necessarily understood. You can claim to relate all day long, but it, it's different when it's run by someone of color. So I was really excited, um, you know, to hear you guys were on the channel and then to have be able to work with you directly because BJ lets you know at every opportunity that he was very much a music guy, like <laughs> every opportunity. Like I'm like, okay, well, I work on a talk show. So. Well, that's why <laughs> yeah. I love BJ too. Like I, I kind of left that part out early on of he he was put in charge of the channel, but he said, I'm only going to take it over if I can have Chris come over with me because he knew that this is a channel I want to run. He, he knew that at that point I was kind of, you know, I won't say kind of, I was the highest ranking black person on the talk side. Um, and so like he wanted me to help run the day to day to your point. And so he was very much involved, but not as hands on as I was essentially kind of how right. you are ECP now. Like I kind of handle <laughs> more the business stuff. You handle the day to day, but that's super important. And so like I took a lot of passion in that. And early on, like I made it a point when we first took over the channel, even though somehow, you know, we missed getting you the, the news about the channel being called Urban View. Uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that you guys weren't getting news secondhand. Uh, and that we had some kind of like relationship beyond just, you know, hopping on a phone call or email. So I went to DC to visit with you and some of our hosts down there and meet them for the first time. Um, and I had meetings with every single one of you all also with host in Atlanta. And I think at the time we may have had a host in California, I'm forgetting, but I think mm-hmm. DC primarily and Atlanta, I went to, to have these sit down conversations and not just say like, Hey, here's my vision. Yes. We talked about that, but we also talked about like, what is it that you all feel like the channel's lacking? Like, what is yeah. it, you know, re- resource wise that you all don't have? Because that's our job as the people who are leading this channel is to fight for the channel and fight for the people that work on it. And so to do that, I really want to talk to you all personally to know what you've already been through so that we can try to make things better moving forward. And I will say, I feel like that helped with the turning point of things because, you know, when you're in DC and your bosses are in New York, it's really hard. Like it's really challenging, you know? And then we would all hear in the streets that, you know, someone was coming down from New York, but then like I, my desk was literally like right at the corner where you turn to walk amongst us. (laughs) And I, if I had a dollar for every executive that I saw basically run past us to get to, you know, the, the multifunctional offices, like it's crazy. So you know, I did appreciate how, you know, you would come and sit to, and talk with us. And because when I first heard it was you, I was like, he changed the name. Ew. Like, I, I already was like, I don't like this guy. Like, I don't want to work with him. He doesn't get it. Like, what is this? You know, but then when you came and, you know, sat and talked with us and actually laid out like ideas and like heard us, because it's hard in a big company sometimes to feel as though you're being heard. So to even if, you know, you can only take it but so far, but to at least have that acknowledgement, I think it definitely, you know, goes a long, long way. And I, I felt like that did with, I can't speak for all the hosts, but I feel like that did with, with some of us down there. So let's, let's talk about that. You said you visited a few folk and, you know, there were some challenges with the hosts that you then inherited, you know, coming over with Urban View. 
Um, I think one of the the first ones was Rob Redding. Tell me a little bit about that <laughs> journey with him. <laughs> yeah, so full disclosure, I, I did you know tell Adele a little bit about this Rob Redding situation because it was something that I hadn't told you about before. So, oh. like you said, like most hosts were open, like but most were very cautious. Like I could literally feel the tension as I'm talking to most people of like, what is this guy? You know, who is this guy? What is he about? Like, and I get it. I'd be the same way. But most were very open and like, all right, we're gonna try this out. Um, when I went down to Atlanta, uh, there were two hosts I was going to see. I met up with one, uh, and the second one I was supposed to meet up with, I think we were meeting in like a weird place anyway. I think we were meeting at a parking lot or like maybe, you know, one of his old businesses or something, but I'm waiting there for like a half an hour and he just never showed up. Uh, and wow. this is Rob Redding. So Rob never showed up. Um, and you know, I didn't take it any real certain way. I was like, oh, this man has multiple jobs, businesses. Like he, you know, he was doing a lot at the time and still is, I believe. Uh, so I just, you know, kind of talked up, Hey, we'll catch up again. At another point we had some phone calls, but that's kind of was like, a, a it should have been kind of a warning sign. Cause eventually what ended up happening is as part of creating this new channel and having to bring in new content, we had to make room for that new content. So we had to get rid of some shows, some weekly shows, some daily shows, um, to free up that space. And luckily I say luckily, but at that time, most of the shows that we had on the network were shows that aired on another radio station. And then we ran the replay. So I, I tried to kind of get rid of those. I'd rather us have like original content that we can say, this is Sirius XM. This is urban view. Sorry, the power, uh, you know, this is us, uh, as opposed to, Oh, I can hear this on my local radio station and here. Well, Rob Redding ended up being one of those cuts that we made. He wasn't very happy. Um, and he, uh, I don't remember all the correspondence, but the biggest thing was that eventually, after he got done doing any back and forth with me, which wasn't too bad. It was just the kind of the normal, like, hey, you sure there's no way I can stay? Like, hey, I'll work for this or do that. And it's like, no, sorry, we just have to move in this direction. He then goes on social media, and I think it was Facebook in particular, you know, starts talking about how dirty, you know, SiriusXM management did him. And at the time, I'm the only SiriusXM management he knows. So he's like, you know, SiriusXM management did me dirty. I'm going to tell all in this new book. I'm like, well, hold on, what? One, I don't know what you're going to talk about. I don't yeah. do anything wrong. But also at the same time, like a tell-all book, like you're making this sound like super scandalous. Uh, I remember calling like my mother and be like, do I need a lawyer? Like I just took over this channel and someone's telling me they're going to be talking about me in a book. Like, do I need to get ready to refute certain things? And Luckily, I don't think that book ever came out, or if it did, it didn't have anything in me about it, or no one read it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like the start of me taking over the channel was running into a host that wanted to to was upset that we had to let him go, unfortunately, and then you know kind of went to social media to start attacking me and and the company. And what was that like for for you personally? I know you said you went to your mom and stuff, but that's gotta just even deeper feel like, did you feel like unsure about your decision? Like, did it make you kind of question, like, how did that feel for you moving into this position? And that's like the first big thing you had to do. It's tough. Um, and it's tough from the standpoint of like, I'm very good at separating business and personal for the most part, but I think what felt personal in that and some of the other things I'm sure we'll talk about is like taking over a black channel, especially a black channel. That's one of the few black channels in the entire network. Like, the audience and the people who work on it are very passionate about it, as they should be. And so I very much felt like a lot of times I was being painted as this person who was just doing the white man's bidding. 
you know, I'm ruining this channel. And like, that was the energy I got from this person. And they then spurred the audience to feel the same way. They already, you know, the audience was already upset about us changing the name and watering down this name from the power. Much like you were saying, our audience very much loved that name and was very tied to that name. Um, and so they also, you know, would would reach out to us via social media and by phone calls to complain about it. But then, you know, when Rob Redding goes out and talks about how he's going to tell all, he's like, it's, it's spurring that to say like, oh, this person really is doing some shady things to to potentially hurt the station. And so it was tough to feel like I am trying to help black people, but black people either aren't helping me and or they think that I'm against them when really all I'm doing is trying to help us win. Like, give me a second. I just got here. Um, and so it was tough, but, you know, eventually moved past it. There was other challenges to focus on. So we, we moved on. But uh, yeah, it was it was kind of difficult feeling like someone was coming after me when all I was trying to do was help. Yeah, because it, it wasn't a, like a lot of transparency. And honestly, like the Urban View audience is so, so loyal. So I feel like even if there was some like more transparency, it wouldn't have really mattered what you <laughs> would have said like at the time because you were pegged as the guy who changed the name from the power to the Urban View, you know? Yes, yes and no. Um, and this, I guess, gets into a little bit of too. Like, so we would get these, these messages like, hey, you need to give a certain host more hours or mm-hmm. um, we want this particular host uh, that isn't on the network. We want them to come on or, hey, get rid of this other host. Uh, or the name thing, or, you know, the Rob Redding stuff. So, like, we'd get these messages regularly on Facebook. There was a whole power uh, Facebook group, which I made sure I joined immediately. I wanted to know what our audience is saying about us. I made sure that we had a voicemail set up for the channel. And I listened, personally listened to every single voicemail that came in. I personally read every single message that was on Facebook. Probably not healthy. Uh, I don't know if I repeat that, you know, in hindsight. But the reason I brought that up to what you were just saying is that I then responded to a lot of those messages. I would respond to them on Facebook and say, hey, like I'm seeing a lot of you, you know, are saying this about the changes. I just want you to understand, like, this is why we made that change. Uh, you know, in particular with the name, like, hey, I get it. You guys don't like the name. I couldn't, wasn't allowed to say all the stuff I just said in terms of like, it wasn't me picking the name. Like as the leader of the channel, I have to fall on that sword. Like, the buck stops with me. It doesn't matter if it was somebody else. Like they're looking at me as the director of this channel. And so like, hey, yeah, I was part of the team who picked this channel. We're sorry that you don't like it, but we changed this name because we want to bring in all these other programs. And so we need that to bring in more audience because maybe some people who listen to SiriusXM have already decided they're never going to listen to the power because of what was there before. But if we give it a new name, they might give it a second chance. And that will bring us in potentially more money because we can do more advertising. That can bring us in more hosts or more resources. So it's like all these pieces that fit together. And people don't necessarily think about that until you explain it to them. Um, and so that's what I really tried to do. I'd stay at the office until, you know, this is something I don't think people realize my bosses hated when they found out that I was doing this. I'd stay there until midnight, personally calling people who left voicemails. And I'd be like, hey, got this voicemail from you. I just want to call you in person to let you voice your frustration. And they'd legit just go off sometimes for 15 minutes to a half an hour, just yelling or, or angry. Most actually were very cordial about it. And I would be like, I hear you. And I'd I'd probably feel the same way a lot of times what would be my response. But I'd say like, well, this is why we're doing these things. And it wasn't that at the end of that conversation, all of them agreed with what we were doing or what I was potentially doing. But they almost all of them would say at the end of that, like, thank you. I just want to be heard. And I'm going to keep listening now. Most of them were threatening to cancel their subscriptions or stop listening to the channel. And they're like, we appreciate that you called, even if you're not going to give me what I want. I appreciate someone's there to listen. So I'm going to rock with the station a little bit longer. We'll see where you go with this. Um, Just acknowledging them. 
yeah. So like, yes, I, there's probably nothing I could say in that moment that to your point that, that they're going to agree with and love, but at least they're going to understand that there is a real human being on the other side of this. It's not me just trying to collect the paycheck or do the white man's bidding. So. Right. It, it made it a little more personal. That's a lot. It's a lot to do, Chris. Like, <laughs> even for, like, for one person. Because it was a lot of calls. I remember kind of streamlining those as they first kind of started coming in. Because at that time I was doing, uh, you know, GW on the Hill and those evening, late afternoon, the GWs and Mario Armstrong, you know, uh, shows. So, yeah. Right when I got, I, I tried, I begged that man to come back. But it was like, it was already, he had already moved on to the next thing. Like I got there like a month too late. Yeah, you sound like me because I was like, don't leave me behind. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite shows on the network before taking it over. So I was like, oh, we're going to get Mario Armstrong. We're going to do all these things. We're going to blow up his show. And he went on to go win Emmys on his own. So Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny just kind of hearing more of the breakdown of like your thought process behind why the name changes for the show. And I feel like he definitely fits on where you were trying to head with the channel overall. Like he definitely fits with that. Um, but speaking of like that hour and, you know, extending time, one of the biggest requests were extending GW or GW on the Hill. Tell me about that and like getting to know GW and and what was that, that process like and the things you had to go through, you know, there, because, you know, unfortunately GW faced some challenges. Yeah. No, rest in peace. Our our brother, you know, GW. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the GW thing that, that honestly probably was the toughest thing early on. I don't know, toughest may be the wrong word. There was a lot of tough things now that I just said that out loud. But yeah, that situation was tough, but for a lot of different reasons. So that, you know, met him when I came down to DC. You know, we had a great conversation just about, you know, what he needs, what he wants to accomplish, you know, kind of the lack of resources. And, you know, I really enjoyed his show. I thought he did a great show and, and he was somebody who expressed wanting to have an additional hour and even pointing to his audience saying like, you know, they're they're asking for an additional hour. So, you know, our audience was asking for a lot of people to get additional hours. They're asking for basically more hours in the day than exist. So <laughs> basically, <laughs> <laughs> we can't accommodate them all. But I agree with them that GW deserved that extra hour. But, you know, it took time for me to be able to, okay, we're going to give him an extra hour. He deserves to be compensated for that. And so it's, it takes time for me to back channel, especially at a big company, to go through the levels of approval to get that additional money to give them or to figure out how we're going to restructure contracts or whatever it might be. Even coming down to what we call clocks, like deciding, okay, this is going to air then, but then the replay is going to go here. So the replay was a one-hour replay. Well, now it's a two-hour show. It doesn't fit in the same replay slots anymore. So that moves everything. Um, so these are the things that I don't think people always necessarily think through, but it's why it took us some time. And I don't fully remember dates here, but let's say I you know, came in, took over the channel in August. By December, you know, around Christmas, I'd finally worked everything out. Me and BJ were able to work, work the things out with our bosses. And we were basically like, all right, we're going into the holiday knowing that we're going to come back with some great news. We're going to give the audience what they've been asking for. GW is going to get a second hour and GW is going to be happy. You know, he's been asking for this, but I want to wait until after Christmas and we're going to let everybody know when we come back in the new year. And, you know, Hanukkah, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, oh, everything in between. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't want to, you know, uh, I got to be PC, right? Uh, no. Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So we come back off that holiday break and I get this. I forgot who told me, but someone called me. It may have even been you. Just like, so GW had a stroke over the holiday and we don't know how severe it is. We don't know if or when he might come back. And so we literally just played the waiting game. I think for a while we just did replays. I think yeah, 
even did some best of type things or had some people fill in or aired additional replays of other shows. But we just, we were waiting and, you know, for him to possibly come back. But while we were waiting, we also weren't getting updated information from the family. And this is not me saying we were supposed to, like, this is personal, very, very personal and very serious things that are going on in their family. They don't have to be telling us everything that's going on. And so we weren't trying to push either. But at the same time, we didn't have updates for the audience. So we're just kind of like, hey, like, we think GW's going to be back soon. Like, give him well wishes. Like, I think we were fairly upfront with the audience that he was out and had a stroke, um, something along those lines. But then, I don't know if it was maybe like a week after uh, getting that news and we were still just kind of pushing for things. But it wasn't soon after coming back off that holiday break that this narrative started on that Facebook uh, uh, power group. Um, And it was like, yeah, serious man, serious XM management and, and Chris Colbert, you know, gave him a hot dose. And that's that's what gave you know gave him a stroke. So essentially saying I poisoned GW so that he wouldn't be on the air. And like they were not to say a lot of people, but there were a few people like, yeah, that's exactly like, you know, thumbs up. Yeah, screw this guy, screw the manager. Why'd they do this to GW? Like, what the hell? And like all I wanted to be able to say to them is like, we were gonna give him a second hour. And I, but I couldn't necessarily say that. Like, one, I haven't even fully communicated that to the family because, hey, we're waiting for them to get to their personal stuff. But I just literally had to sit there and watch as, like, these conspiracy theories started. And that then spitballed into more of, oh, well, you know, Chris is just, you know, the man. He's just doing their bidding. Even some people who are coming to my defense would be like, don't blame Chris. It's not his fault. You know, all the white people are telling him to do this. It's like, oh, that doesn't help me either. No. <laughs> I'm not just wow. a problem. Like, I am here to do good, but I can only work with what I have. And so I think that was really tough because one, I've never had an employee who's gone through something like that. So that was really tough. And just like, I like GW. He was one of the healthiest people on the channel when I met him. Like, eat super He really well. was. Came out of nowhere. And so like, yeah. personally tough having no, to to not know what's going on with this person's health, then it's tough as the person running a channel of like, I don't know how to solve this problem because we don't know what's happening with him. We don't want to push him to the curb, but we also potentially need to move on. And it did eventually end up in a situation. I think after six months, he finally said, yeah, I can't do it. Um, or his family let us know. And, you know, um, and then the third part that was tough was what I kind of mentioned before too, of just, again, being, being told that I'm the prop for the white man. I'm not, you know, the, I'm not a thinker of my own. I'm not, you know, able to take any action on my own. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Working at any major company, I can't, you don't have the leeway to just make changes. You still have to run it up the flagpole. But to, to represent me as somebody who was against the channel when I was about to give everybody something that they wanted was really tough to deal with. But it's just kind of what you have to do in management. You have to just, I'll use that term again, just kind of fall on the sword and just take it and, and hope that people stick around to see, you know, what's coming next. Yeah, it's kind of like people felt like, Urban View was independent of Sirius. Like, we all had checks and balances that we had to still, you know, take. And I, I'll tell you, I am I was shocked when you told me that. Like, I did, I never knew that that's kind of what you were de- dealing with on the other side of it. Because, you know, it was just a really sad time. Like, because like you said, GW was one of the healthiest people. Like, he would drive down. He would walk up the stairs. Like, he was a vegetarian. Like, he didn't really eat a lot. Like, he was so, like, healthy and fit and just full of life and everything. And then to hear that, and then, you know, I know um, a few of his, you know, staff, like Dana and a few other people will reach out and be like, he's going to try to come back. He's going to try to come back. So there's always, like, that lingering in the background, like, okay, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. And then, like you said, for them 
when they finally decided that it wasn't the best. I didn't disagree, you know, with the family. I actually had ran into GW at the movies. Now, I had seen this man for like three years straight, like for years. And it's like he remembered me, but he didn't. And then it was just like sad. Like it just breaks your heart. You know, like you said, rest in peace to kind of see what happened with GW because the work was being done. You know, my question for you was, how do you not internalize that? Like for your mental health, because that's the other side of this. (laughs) Like, how did you deal with that? Because it's like, it's like screaming, but no one can hear you because you're like, look, I'm trying. But they, they, you can't also say everything you're doing. So yeah, how, how did you mentally and emotionally deal with that on, on both sides with the GW side and, you know, with the people making up these ridiculous claims? Um, before I answer that, I will also say I ran into GW too. Well, we actually did a lunch and you're right. Like they made the right decision. And he was, unfortunately what happens a lot of times with these major strokes, he was a shell of himself. And like, you could see him trying to remember or trying to say something. It just wasn't there. Just, I think, I don't even know if you remember, maybe it was your show who may have been setting this up. Like we tried bringing GW back for one show. They said he was coming in and like, thank goodness we had a backup plan. You know, we had another host who was going to accompany him and he just wasn't able to make it in. They just had to call last second, like, sorry, we couldn't make it happen. And we just had to move on with the, uh, the show. I think it may have been Maggie's show that you were. Yeah, working. it was, it was Maggie. We were trying, we tried, I think twice to, to bring them in and it yeah. just didn't work out. Um, but yeah, to your, your question, uh, about the mental health side, to be honest, like, I don't, I don't think I was emotionally, I wasn't as emotionally intelligent at that point as I am now to how to deal with it. I think I just fully internalized it. Like, internalized in terms of, I didn't feel I had anybody I could talk to about it. Um, you know, I, I, a little bit with BJ, but like he had so much going on on the music side. Like he, he had a super full plate before even, you know, coming over with Urban View. And again, why he had me running the channel. Um, and eventually why I promoted you too. Cause like I needed someone to help me, uh, cause it was so too much for me to do. Um, so I kind of had BJ in some ways, but I didn't. Um, and I, I always tried to protect my staff to not, you know, allow the things that are affecting me to affect them, whether it be internal stuff that's happening or stuff with the audience. Um, and so I didn't necessarily have you all to reach out to. My mom's an, an entrepreneur. I, you know, I feel like has been through so many different things. So I kind of reach out to her, but she doesn't understand because I work in the media industry and like her solutions just don't really work for the field that, you know, we work in. Like you have to be a little bit more careful in the media field about how you handle things. So yeah, I don't think I had anybody. I think it's only more recently of just I, I very much have internalized those early days of, of Urban View and the fact that my own community didn't feel like I was there for them. And it's tough. Till this day, it's tough. And, and I feel a lot better now because of what we're able to do with DCP. And I think the love that we get from our community is much different than the love I used to get when I was at SiriusXM or lack thereof. Um, you know. So yeah, I, I guess the answer for you is I wasn't handling it well. And I think now... I, could, I feel a little bit more of a sense of relief, not to say that we're not, you know, there's people in the community who don't necessarily always like the way we go about things, but it's a lot different now that I feel like people fully understand um, what it is that I'm trying to accomplish, what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, I wish I would have been in the meditation. I, w- I wish that was a point in my life where I was going to therapy um, more often. Like I, I needed to get that off my chest and it just, the longer it sat on my heart, the, the more it made me feel a lack of connection with my own community, which was tough. Mm. That's real. Like, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and, you know, just get me getting a better understanding on, on, on what you were going through. Cause like, 
you know, you're coming from the upper management side. I'm just a lowly producer, you know, trying to get by every day. The only reason that I have jobs, you know, the people above them have jobs. So, yeah, yeah. Cause it's just like, you know, those were some heavy times. And I also don't necessarily think that the audience really ever understood what the staff was going through. Like, we, we were. Like to to your point, like I don't think I was going to therapy, and and like I said, I was in there with GW almost every day, and then it was just nothing. Like, oh, you I'm guys training someone? I can't imagine what you were going through. Yeah, it just felt empty. Like I really looked at GW like an uncle, like he was family, and it was just like so shocking. And then to have to, because we still answer phones, we still were answering the phones during his live calls, and it, that was just really, really emotional, you know, to have to, to go through. So I can't imagine them being accused of something and then can't fully explain it, it or whatever. Like that's, that's tough. So I, I appreciate you for sharing it. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's, no, that's a lot, Chris. No, thank you. And it's, it's, you know, it, I think sometimes we see this in the media too, where like, we're, we're like, why doesn't somebody respond to them being attacked? Like why are they just being silent? I get it from from the things that I've been through where it's like, there's no good answer you can give. Anything that you say is going to either become up as looking defensive or not taking the problem seriously enough. Or even if you fully admit it, like there's always going to be something wrong with your response. And so sometimes it's better just to be quiet. Uh, Yeah, it's never enough. Yeah. Like you want to say all these things and help people understand what you're what you're seeing, what you're experiencing but you know that if you do, it's just going to make this so much worse. And it's also just not a good resource of your time. Yeah. No. Yeah. Especially you stand there till midnight. I mean, I appreciate what you did for the callers, but go to bed. That's, that's probably why your sleeping habits. Never mind. We're not going to go down there. But you- <laughs> well, no, channels in LA and DC and New York all at the same time. So I'm working. True, in three- that's true. <laughs> but then I remember, you know, there were additional changes in staffing and stuff and bringing in, you know, more shows. We brought in the Maggie Linton show, uh, you know, for the, we from, from book radio, you know, over to a daily show. And then another one of the shows were the B Smith and thank you, Dan show. So before we get too deep, who titled that show? Did they like, where did that come from? So that's an answer. I don't, I don't know if I fully, I don't know if I know that. I think I it never was, understood it. I'm pretty sure it comes from them. Uh, because, oh, that's what it is. It definitely comes from them because I think it was a sign-off they used to say at the end of one of their old programs. I can't remember. They used to have a TV program or a radio program, but they used to have a program and B. Smith would always sign off. Like, I'm B. Smith and thank you, Dan. Like, it was kind of like that. And so it was like this, this ode to their old audience and this nostalgia, which to your point, like, yeah, us folks didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the breakdown. (laughs) But yeah, so that was a tough one. Um, you know, I I was familiar with B. Smith. Her restaurant used to be in Union Station. Amazing food. Um, oh. But, you know, unfortunately, when she first joined the channel, she was at the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. What was that like for you and bringing her on? Were you aware? And like, what was that like kind of seeing the slow decline? Because we, we kind of watched it play out a little bit on the show. Yeah, so that's one that always sticks in in me in the back of my head a lot of just like the what ifs. Um, Because I, 
I was not as involved in bringing that show on as I would have liked to be. So this was like the first big show that we brought over. Like we had, you know, BJ and I taking over the channel, like, you know, we're going to freshen things up. And so we're going to get, you know, one big star to join the stars that we already have. And he really wanted B. Smith. We talked about a bunch of different people, but like B. Smith was like his number one. He really, BJ really wanted her. And it wasn't just to do like recipes. Like it really was going to be like, yes, you're going to get recipes and stuff, but she's going to bring in her celebrity friends. They're going to talk about what they're doing in activism spaces and what they're doing here. And so it's going to be lifestyle, but we're going to, you know, through this woman who has built this incredible brand through modeling, through food, we're going to utilize that to be able to, to have these in-depth conversations with folks in different backgrounds. And so like, though I wasn't part of the bringing her on and it wasn't necessarily my idea, I did believe in it being a great uh, addition for the channel. Um, when they were doing the contract, I, from what I understand, I found this out later, there was never any test shows done. Like at that, I would have been involved with. So I kind of did know that going in, but we didn't do any test shows or anything. And I don't... I think the reason we didn't is because they have done, you know, media in the past. And so like they already had, we as serious exam already had examples of what she can do. So like, what's the point of having to put her through this? So I was told about some of their early meetings um, to like work through contracts. And the person who was telling me this was saying how like something seemed off about B, um, B being B Smith, uh, something seemed off about her. And, you know, she wasn't talking much and then I think the next day after their first meeting, she got rushed to the hospital for something. Um, but they never, there was never any divulgence, I think, of like what happened. Again, these are personal things, so not like anybody has to divulge anything. But there were just some early warning signs that something was a little off. And so contracts eventually got signed and, and uh, we started recording the show. And early on, like she was having a tough time talking. It just started with her stumbling a lot. Uh, then it became her forgetting lines, even though literally the paper's right in front of her. And actually, that was another thing. We started fully writing out scripts for her. And I say we, you know, Lisa and Steve, uh, who used to work on that show, who, you know, kudos to them. They did a lot of work to try to make things work there. Uh, Steve Gonzalez and Lisa Montaneo. Um, but they literally write up these full scripts for, for her. And she couldn't even get through that. And, like, that's when we started to fully put together the dots. I happen to actually work in the same office as Dr. Radio. And so I was kind of asking them, like, what are these kind of... And so they had mentioned, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, like, these are potential signs of that. And then I think uh, Dan and B finally either figured out uh, or had, you know, maybe received some similar information that this could be Alzheimer's. So now there was some internal conversation that, you know, this could be a thing. Um, and yeah, at that point, we're already under contract with her. And so, like, we don't want to... And she had three hours a day. That was the other tough thing. Like, we had three hours to fill, and she's having trouble just getting through five minutes. Um, and so, like, there was even times a guest would come in who she knows for years, and, like, she couldn't ask anything. And Dan just had to kind of take over the show, and it kind of became the Thank You, Dan, and B. Smith show. Like, B. Mm-hmm. Smith add on. It completely changed everything. Uh, sorry, it's a long story, but just to you know, kind of give you that full understanding of kind of what was happening. And so it got to the point where she unfortunately couldn't continue doing the show. I think, you know, similar to the GW situation, they as a family had to make a decision on what's best for her health moving forward. And, you know, they were really trying to find ways to, you know, there's no cure for Alzheimer's, but is there a way to slow it down or whatever? And, you know, maybe take this stress off of her, you know, because maybe that's exacerbating things. Uh, so we eventually had to, to ramp things down to, to less hours and then eventually uh, take it off the air. But what was tough in that situation were a few things. It was, again, somebody's personal health. B and Dan were 
almost like pseudo parents for me for a little while. Like they very much took me under their wing. They'd take me out to their home in Long Island and introduce me to everybody as their, their son. Um, and, you know, took me to their place in New York City and, and, you know, all their restaurants. And like they really treated me super well. And like I felt very much part of their family. And so it hurt to feel like I was watching an aunt or somebody, you know, close to me going through this. And then B. Smith literally disappeared one day. You know, I don't know if you remember that, but like it was all in the news where B. Smith's, you know, we can't find her. She had taken a bus out to her place in Long Island, but then never got off the bus. She just basically stayed back on and went back to Manhattan. But no one knew if that's what she did. Someone eventually found her just kind of walking the streets in Manhattan. But I was part of that group trying to find her. Like I remember Dan calling me and, and telling me about it. Like we were all in a panic about that. So she was going through, he was going through, they were going through such a tough time and to try to be for them that there for them personally, but also at the same time, understand I still have to run the channel and figure out what to put in those slots was really difficult. And also look after our team. Like I said, Lisa and Steve constantly doing all this extra work to try to make things work. Like I'm trying to take care of them because they're, you know, they're catching hell trying to do all this and the family's going through so much. And at the same time, the audience is suffering. They're not getting what they're supposed to get. And now they're pointing fingers of like, why did you bring this show on? They don't know about the Alzheimer's. We're not divulging that to anybody at the time. And so to them, it's why is Dan talking so much? You know, why are we only talking about recipes? Because at this point, you know, B's not there to, to fill those gaps that she was supposed to. So now it does become more recipe and food oriented. So it's like, why did you take this powerful power station and turn it into this cooking show or this cooking channel? And it's like, what do you say to that? It's like, you're right, but that's not what this was supposed to be. And I can't tell you why it can't be. Right. And then what goes in the slot for B, B Smith and Dan when they go away? Well, we already committed to a contract with them and we're, and kudos to SiriusXM. We're not going to go to them and say, give us our money back because you got sick. Like, that's, no, no one wants to be in that position. So we essentially, you know, we now don't necessarily have money to bring on maybe another big star. And so now it's like our hands are tied behind our back and the audience feels like we, you know, made this horrible decision knowing what we were getting into when in actuality, we we just got really unlucky. And, and I say we, shoot, the B and Dan got really unlucky and we yeah. just had, you know, we're kind of the tail end of that. But it was, it's, it's interesting with like reliving these things because I feel like I'm, I'm kind of going on these tangents, but like everything is just so connected of just like, okay, this one dot then affected this, which affected this. And then to the audience, it looks just like we're incompetent, but it's like, no, we're just trying right. to take human beings at the same time too. No, I think it's good that you kind of go deep into it, you know, like even just kind of listening to you talk, like, I didn't know you had such a personal relationship with them either, but like, I remember bringing them in and I was like, okay, this is be interesting. And then I remember they hadn't publicly said anything about the Alzheimer and, Alzheimer's and all of a sudden it was Dan all the time. And then people were mad, like, why is it the Dan show? No one wants to hear him like all the time. Like, what is this? You know? And then when she would talk, once it did come public, you know, we would hear like her once in a while. Oh, they're taking advantage of her. How dare they? They know she's yeah. sick. You know, it was just like a lose-lose situation. And then when the show got pulled, it was just like, why would you pull the show off? It, it just really felt like there was no way out to like, please everyone. Like it was going to be a problem no matter what. Yeah, all those things. And yeah, to that personal connection, I'll also mention too, just because I, I very much want to sing the praises of, of B and Dan. Like, I bought a, a house and or I bought a, a co-op in Manhattan around the same time that we were bringing them on. And like, 
in in New York, co-ops are a thing. I don't you know. It, it's different than condos, but it's kind of the same. But it takes like an extra board approval from people who live there. So especially for like a young black man trying to get a place in Manhattan, like I'm like, man, I'm not gonna be able to get this approval. B and Dan were my one of my letters of recommendation, and they they were adamant that they wanted to be my letter of recommendation. And they wrote, I still have it to this day, just this glowing thing that they wrote. And I remember finding out from the co-op board that I was approved. And they said, the reason we approved you, by the way, is because of B. Smith and Dan's uh, uh, recommendation. Because the building I was going into was a bunch of actors. And the restaurant that uh, B. Smith used to have here in New York City was on Restaurant Row, which is right next to uh, Broadway and all the shows and stuff. So they would a lot of times go have drinks at B. Smith. So like all the people in my building, you know, these different actors and stuff would go over to B. Smith's. Uh, to have dinner or have drinks. And B and Dan would always walk around and introduce themselves to everybody and talk to everybody. They were just super genuine in that way. And they had talked to people who lived in my building. So like they had these relationships with them at their restaurant. And so like, that's what allowed me, B Smith and Dan are the reason I'm able to own property in Manhattan. Like that's such an incredible thing, but it's also so sad that I can't fully share it with them in the way I want to now that, you know, B's have passed away. You know, rest in peace to B. Smith. Like, she was just phenomenal. Like, I didn't know her personally, but I admired her so much. So, Chris, that's so dope and such a unique story to have. And it's just like, one thing I've always appreciated about you is your transparency. You know, like, you're you you're you're not the type of person that will get up and then act like you don't know the people behind you. You're always trying to help people get up to. You're always trying to uplift people. You're always trying to just support people, even though like you're the most busiest person on this earth, <laughs> like you still, you know, try to pull people in. Like that's, that's, that's why I'm always team Chris, because like you're genuinely a good person. You, you go through your challenges that people don't always know about. And then you're always just trying to lift people and, and, and be transparent and share your stories to help others. And, like to have to deal with all of that, like that's a lot. Like even just on the personal part, and to deal, still have to professionally go back to series, have all these people asking you a million and one questions as to why. Because at that point, you're the face of Urban View. Like we're we're coming to you. We're not <laughs> going to BJ. We're like Chris. What, yeah. what is this? Like, I, I yeah, <laughs> you know. And but it's still a lot to have to shoulder. You know, and like you said, like the 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 beautiful help that B Smith and Dan did for you, but then to still have to kind of watch the decline and then still have to make hard decisions, you know, on the professional side, like that's a lot for a single person to balance. So I just want to say thank you in general. I'm not just saying this because I work for DCD, <laughs> but you know, like you just, I just don't think people always just kind of take it in, you know, of like what's going on. That's like behind the scenes. And I think that's why the shows like this are, you know, really important to be able to just kind of share. Like you don't just, you didn't just walk into the room and say, hey, I'm going to run this channel now and these are the changes. And yeah, do what I said. Deal with it. Right? <laughs> like you, you had to go through a lot and, and, and even still. So I guess my next question is, how do you take all of that and apply it to where you are now with DCP? Like, you know, what have you learned and how are you using that on this side of, of being the entrepreneur? So I think, you know, I think one thing that's just in my personal nature in general, but I think those lessons at SiriusXM, I guess, harden. Like SiriusXM helped to harden these aspects of, of what I like to do, which is I, I very much try to put myself in other people's shoes on a regular basis. Not to say that, you know, they're right or I'm right, or, but I just want to understand their perspective. Because I think 
we have these perspectives based on our own life experiences or what we're experiencing at that moment. And so like, even when I was talking about what the audience was accusing me of and stuff like that, I always still try to step over to their side and be like, okay, I can see why they might think this. They don't have all the wealth of information. So let me reach out to them and fill those gaps in for them so they can better understand. Again, maybe not staying until 12, you know, 12 midnight every night to do so might not be the best you know, way to do it. But I don't want to just dismiss it to say like, oh, they're wrong. They don't know what's going on. Screw them. No. Can, is there a way that I can help them better understand? And I think it's the same thought process with what we do at DCP and you know, the way that we go about doing documentaries, it's very much giving people a platform to fully tell their story because there's miscon- you know, misperceptions about these families who've been impacted by police violence or there's, you know, these misconceptions of who Prince was as a human being. Like, th- humanizing people is what I love to do just in my personal life, but, you know, better understanding people's stories. And so in what we're able to do through DCP, we can humanize them through these stories that we're telling. But even when it comes to our teams and when it comes to our audience, it's, I'm always trying to think through, not even just reactively, but proactively, what do people need? Right now, we're going through a really fucking tough time in this country and around the world, but like, we're going through a fucking tough time. And so as much as originally, and you know this about, about DCP, originally we weren't going to be doing a lot of politics or social activism stuff. Like, to be honest, Sirius XM working on Urban View, like it kind of burned me out with that. Like it was just, it was a, it was a lot, but the country's going through something and it's our responsibility with, you know, a company that has this kind of platform and the networks that you and I and our team have, like, it's our responsibility to, to present that and, and to be able to give people a voice when they feel like they're lost or, or to give people facts when they're not getting truth, they're being gaslighted. And so it's very much putting the mission in, in front of what our, our you know, original plans were. We're always going to pivot to make sure that we're being of best service to our audience. And that isn't just being reactionary. It's trying to be proactive and thinking, what do people need and how can we get that to them and help them understand what we're trying to accomplish? And I think having my own business allows me more freedom to say what we're doing and to make the whole company about this mission. Whereas you know, not to say that because SiriusXM was about some of the same mission too, at least in some of the meetings I have, but it's still this corporate structure that you're underneath. And so I'm not able to move as quickly as I want to there. Whereas owning my own business, I can. It, it, yes, there's still things I check in with investors and stuff. But for the most part, I decide, you know, you obviously are a big part of that, but the final decision comes down to me of how we're going to move and how we're going to represent ourselves. And I love to, you know, that we're able to have a brand that encompasses what we're trying to do. So we don't have to explain ourselves every single time we put out a new show. It's like, no, you understand who DCP is. And this makes sense why this kind of show would live here. Right. I feel like for me, just kind of watching the biggest difference is just being able to execute. You know, there were a lot of great ideas that went through. You know, Urban View. Remember, I used to throw ideas all the time. I just said because they were my my ideas. But, you know, like, I tell people all the time, like, Say Their Name was one of the first brainchilds that you and I were talking about at Urban View, like, at Sirius. Like, I really wanted to do something. I remember us sitting in one of the studios, and I was talking to you about how Trayvon Martin impacted me, and we started bouncing ideas there. And, you know, it didn't really get to go the way that we would have liked, but we both were passionate for different reasons, you know, and similar reasons about what was happening then. And that was with Trayvon Martin. And then now all these years later, you know, unfortunately, we keep seeing it again and again and it's getting worse. But that's where the inspiration and the thought came for Say Their Name. And so as 
a producer then just wanting to be able to have this voice and now, you know, the COO of DCP and being able to have said voice and help amplify those stories. I mean, that's just like a full circle moment of, you know, coming from that space to now. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is execution now. Yeah. And I'd say like the other thing I think lesson wise that I, I brought over is truly, you know, working collaboratively with the producers and the hosts. So like, again, I'm not just going to come down with edicts. And sometimes, yes, I come down to you and say, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to approach YouTube this way or do this on, you know, getting our podcast up. But for the most part, I try to say, here's what I'm thinking. What is your feedback? As a producer of this show who's heavily invested in it, knows more about it than I ever will. And hey, go to your host or I'll take it to the host to also then say, or you will, to say, all right, here's what we're thinking. Here's what the team discussed. What do you want to do? This is your brand. And, you know, being inclusive in that not only allows us to make a better show, but also thinks creates better relationships with us and our hosts and our, our team. Um, and ultimately, I think it creates better relationships for our audience, too, because we're all buying in to what we're doing. And, you know, no one's just being like, oh, crap, crap I have to check off this box. Like, so I very much, you know, wanted this, the, our culture here, and I very much think it is for the most part, you know, a very communal kind of situation where, yes, the buck stops with me. You know, I'm going to make the final decision on things a lot of the time, but I truly want to hear feedback because I am i don't know everything. And again, you know, people who are working day to day on these shows should have a lot of input on what we're doing and how we're reaching our audience because they know it best. Yeah, I definitely agree. With, we always say we're collaborative even amongst each other. So, yeah, for sure. And I know you said, you know, you set up till midnight making phone calls and you're sitting on Facebook responding to people and stuff. How do you handle those types of situations overall now where, you know, we may not get the best feedback? You know, like I know you posted that really funny one about say their name when people were trolling us. Yeah, like, lot, how, how do you of, handle the trolls? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in my, like, you know, I, I, I hang out with Danielle Moody too much, I guess. Like, I'm in my fuck it mode at this point. Um, and a fuck it mode in terms of, like, I'm still putting myself in other people's shoes. But, and this is just me as a person, like, I'm very much, I want to be loved by everybody. And it's not necessarily, like, I want to be loved by everybody because I want, I want everybody to feel loved. I think that's a better way of putting it. I want everybody to feel love from me. And it hurts me when people don't feel that from me. When Even when I, you know, even if we have a disagreement, a lot of times I'm disagreeing to try to help you or to help us. Um, and so anyway, um, I think I, I now have gotten past that a little bit more of like, hey, former you know, employees or, you know, audience people or former bosses or whatever it might be. They just might not like me for any given reason, whether it be, you know, a reason that's warranted or not. But I can always think back on like, I, I did everything I could in the moment with the tools that were at my disposal. And so it doesn't serve me very well to put too much energy into rehashing those situations, like, or to, to try to convince somebody of something that, you know, isn't real. So again, with the audience, I'm not going to stay up until 12 midnight calling every single audience member who's upset about, you know, Toratio, you know, at one point Toratio had three episodes a week. So like maybe, you know, someone complaining that we went down the two. Now, no one actually did, you know, pe you know, people have been loving Toratio. So sorry to use you, Toray, as the example. Um, but like, yeah, I'm not going to sit up calling every person and say, well, this is why we went down to two hours. Um, you know, we'll make sure that within the show we're as communicative as possible and point people to it. And then after that, we move on. Um, and so 
I think that's one thing. And then also, you know, you were asking before a while ago in terms of like at that time when I was going through some of these things, how I took care of myself. Well, now I do have better emotional intelligence to um, you know, meditate more and or like I know nature is a, a thing that I need to go and, and release energy and, and refocus energy. Uh, sports, working out are a way that I truly release energy. Like this weekend, I think last night, actually, I biked probably 25 miles altogether, maybe 30 miles altogether. Um, and I remember at one point I was just pedaling so hard, my legs were tired, but like I still had so much pent up energy and anger about some things that were happening that I needed to let out just through this bike ride. And like, I felt a heck of a lot better afterwards. And so I just, I have better practices or, or I'm more consistent with trying to use these practices, especially when I'm going through kind of more of a difficult time. So I think that's kind of been the change now, you know, moving forward. Yeah. It sounds like your response is in healing to your mental health versus directly to whatever the situation like that may be like, you know, when things get rough, you're, you're putting your, yourself in your mental health, like first you're prioritizing it, but that's definitely something that has to be learned, you know? So I definitely give you kudos for that. Yeah, um, no, it, definitely is. it has to be learned. And yeah, it has not been easy for me and I still, you know, have difficulty with it, but yeah, I have those barriers. Now I don't work. I try my best not to work past 9 PM. Um, and I don't make the first thing I do when I wake up, look at my email though. My fingers do it on its own. Sometimes it's really hard not to <laughs> just <the> automatic <laughs> fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have me telling you to eat all the time. Like, oh, exactly. I, don't my <laughs> I have it literally in my calendar every day. It says drop everything and eat, but I don't always yes. listen to my calendar. So I appreciate like, it. Me Did too. you eat today? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. most people in my life know, like, yeah, check on me to make sure I ate. I'll drink water all day, but yeah, I'll forget to eat. Yeah. Well, I I, I think that's it for me, but I, I thank you for having me on your show. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, one of the, yeah, one of these days we'll we'll do it the other way around. I'll actually interview you, but uh um, I know, I, right? <laughs> uh you know, entertaining me here and 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 helping me pull stuff out because this, this is the thing about my memory like i don't always remember all the things i've been through it takes people asking me questions to kind of jog my memory so and, I and honestly those few years too was like even for me it was compounded like it just became like a lot at once like it was a lot of different things happening a lot of moving parts a lot of personalities, a lot of people leaving, even like from a staffing standpoint, like, you know, people were kind of coming and going. And like I said, you see the executives running, running past our desk, like running. <laughs> you know, yes, they don't... I was running that job, but I was still running the Foxhole, Jamie Foxx's radio station. I was running, uh, uh, I think at, when I first started, I was still running George Carlin's radio station that I started. I was just starting the Latino comedy channel, you know. Oh, the, yeah, I, I remember that. Like, I'm programming the first ever 24-7 bilingual Spanish channel without knowing how to speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, go call Chris, call Chris. I remember yep. that. But I will say, I was glad when you came down, especially when we were doing our Foxhole stuff, because when they started throwing me, I, I think I was the equivalent of you, but from producer. Like, they just started throwing me everywhere, like, book radio, Kids channels, like progress, politics. <laughs> I was even doing like the conservative channels. Like I was one of the first people to meet Steve Bannon when he came through there. I was like, you know, like they just throw me everywhere. But I remember the, the Foxhole days and like when it flipped and like you were coming out, I was like, thank you. Because my old boss would just be like, oh, just sit in there till like midnight or 1 a.m. Because, you know, they're in L.A. I'm like, I am a young lady. Like I would like to get home. <laughs> You know, like, I don't want to be out there. So, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that. But it was a lot, a lot at once. So I definitely get what you're saying, because it was just like, it was so much stuff happening at that same time. 
Oh, yeah. Which, you know, we have a lot going on over here, too. So yeah, I appreciate what you do for us. You know, essentially all the things I was just saying about me, like now that's kind of your life over here. Basically. Not, not to that extent, but <laughs> in terms of juggling lots of things at the same time, you do an excellent job of it. So. And it feels healthier. It's a healthier work environment for me over here. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I'm not I'm not dealing with that level of anxiety that I was there. But yeah, no, it's all good. I'll let you know if it changes. Good. Well, now nah, again, thank you. Um, and uh, for those of you who have been listening to this, I appreciate you for joining us for this deviation off of the regular entrepreneur struggle. Um, I just thought, you know, this today would be a great day to really just kind of talk about some of the things that led me to to being an entrepreneur. Because I'm I'm kind of I've said in some interviews in the past, like I was like the unwilling entrepreneur. I didn't necessarily want to be an entrepreneur. I just thought this is the only way to get the mission done that we're that we're out to do, which is providing a voice and a platform for these underrepresented communities and, you know, especially having these conversations around mental and emotional health. So, you know, as our, our other guests have been so open sharing their story, I thought it's you know only fitting that I share some of my own. Um, and so, you know, Adele was so gracious to, to give us time and energy to, to do that. So thank you, audience. Thank you again, Adele. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson and Ryan Woodhall. Really appreciate you. Until next time, uh, until the next entrepreneur struggle, stay safe, stay healthy, because the struggle is real. Yeah.